0: If you're joining us now and you've missed all this wonderful uh, verbiage for the last 15 minutes, I want to welcome you today. So glad you could be a part. If you're new with us, and every week it's really awesome, we have more of you that reach out to let us know that you found us here during COVID or you've connected with us and that you're wanting to be a part of what God's doing here at Antioch West. And I just want to say it's awesome to have you, even though a lot of you I have not yet officially physically met. But it's awesome because hopefully you're not getting to know us, you're getting to know Jesus. And if this is where God has brought you to, to get to know him better, we're so thrilled to have you a part of Antioch West. But if you're new to us, so glad to have you. Welcome. And um, I sincerely pray that you're touched by what you hear and uh, feel uh, through the power of God uh, we are in a, I've never done this before. I kind of mentioned this last week. I've never really done this before, but, uh, I am taking on the entire summer with one particular series. Uh, and, uh, we're going to be studying the book of Mark. Now, what's awesome about this is, uh, we had some, a little bit of, uh, some, um, um, uh, back and forth with the, uh, social media team on how we would uh, title this. And, um, what we title it, Mark a sermon series. What we would say, and uh, at the time I didn't really have a cool title for it. I was just going to call it Mark, right? Well, I just thought call it what it is. But last week, for those of you that were watching, maybe you remember this. But in the middle of that, uh, the Lord just kind of put this into my heart, and I spoke it without even realizing what it was. What it was. And uh, so we're calling it Mark. It's a life application series. And why is that important? It's important because as we study the book of Mark. Over the next uh, uh, 10 more weeks or so, uh, including today, I don't want you to look at Mark from the traditional lens of the gospel and and the stories and the theology, but what we're really going to do is take the book of Mark as sort of the springboard to kind of get into things that are applicable to you and I today. Again, God is a relational God. Jesus Christ came to engage us, to be relational with us and uh that with that being said jesus is a very relational god the bible says he's touched by the feelings of our infirmity so these things about jesus christ are applicable today as much as they were in when this book was written so my desire through the leading of the holy ghost and letting god minister through uh this series is to bring things out of the book of mark that will be actually able to apply Directly into your life uh, when you stop watching this here in a few minutes. So that's sort of the framework I want you to uh, look at as we go. Well, why didn't you talk about this, or why didn't you talk about why Jesus did this, or what about the significance of this? That might be for another series. But really, gonna we're gonna we're gonna look at Mark and kind of pull out what are the things about these particular passages that directly impact my life today. So we're going to be talking about things that you are, uh, that God's given you power to overcome, but things that God's asking you to do that were the same things he asked them to do in the book of Mark. So we went from Mark chapter one, and I said this last week, by the time we're done, if you've never read the entire book of Mark, by the time you're done, you will have read all of Mark here on Sunday morning. So if you're able to grab your Bible, grab your device uh, turn it on, flip open the pages. We're going to be reading the last uh, portion of Mark chapter 1. Last week, we started with Mark chapter 1, verse 1 through 13. This week, we're going to be going from verse 14 through the end of the chapter. So if you would give me just a moment here, uh, we're going to read the entirety of it, uh, and then we're going to go back through, and we're going to look at what specific parts we're going to look at today that are going to to uh, Directly impact your life uh, where you are today, no matter what stage you are in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, verse number 14 says this if you're reading along with me, I'm reading out of the New King James Version, but you can choose a version of yourself. The wording may be a little different, but you'll see sort of the similarities. Mark chapter 1, verse number 14. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Remember, we talked about this several months ago, what that word repent means. It's not really just a turning away, but it's a turning unto. Uh, If you didn't watch that several months ago, we talked about that. We talked about what it really means to repent. And we look at repentance as a turning away from, but really true repentance is a turning to something. So he says, repent and believe in the gospel. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending their nets, and immediately, get that word again, immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with their hired servants and went after him. When they went into Capernaum immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue who with an unclean spirit cried out, saying, Let us alone What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice and came out of him, they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately... His fame spread throughout all the regions of Galilee. Now as soon as they heard, uh, and as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife, this is Simon Peter, you know him better as Peter, but right now he's known as Simon, but later on you'll get to know him more as Peter. Simon's wife, mother, lay sick with a fever and they told him about her at once. So he came, took her by the hand, lifted her up, and immediately, I love that word, again, There's that word, immediately the fever left her and she served them. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick, all who were demon-possessed, and the whole city gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now in the morning, having arisen a long while before daylight, he went out, departed to a solitary place. There he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said, "Every one is looking for you. But he said to him, Let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose have I come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all of Galilee and casting out demons. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, saying, If you're willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion stretched out his hand, touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he spoke, immediately, there's that word again, a fifth time, we've seen that in the last few verses. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded it as a testimony to them. However, he went out began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. Now, real quickly, just a side note, if you notice, we read through there of the entirety of the rest of chapter one, you'll notice the speed of Mark's gospel uh, from a little bit of a theological aspect. We talked about this from a literary aspect we kind of mentioned this last week and uh we one reason i love mark is, mark is mark is sort of just his his gospel is like uh we use the term pedal to the metal mark starts right off the gate in verse number 1 declaring that jesus is the son of god and just puts the pedal down 0 to 60 in about 3 seconds and he just keeps the pedal pushed all the way down and we just go and it goes doesn't really get bogged down a lot of things like other books do that trace the lineage of Jesus Christ and maybe the events leading up to his birth and the Herod stories. Uh, Mark's like, we're just getting it and we're going. So we kind of see that already. I mean, we just saw Jesus come uh, baptized, go in the wilderness, come out of the wilderness, immediately calls four disciples and then starts healing people. And I mean, it's just quick, quick, quick. So you'll notice that as we get along in Mark, you'll find That that is the case. And uh, pay attention to that. It's kind of interesting how quickly Mark is sort of of getting the pace of his gospel. Now, I said this last week, and I want you to do the same thing with me this week, okay? Uh, Because we're going to focus on two particular parts of this passage. Uh, There's so many amazing stories we just read, you know, healing of Peter's mother-in-law, uh, we've got demon-possessed men being uh, cleansed and proclaiming who Jesus was, all the way down to the leopard at the end there that proclaims who Jesus is, uh, so much so that Jesus couldn't even be in the town because his popularity exploded. We're not going to talk about those things today. And uh, even though they're important and they're awesome, uh, but we're going to look at something com- at something else within this context of these verses. But before we do that, I want you... To go back with me, kind of the framework we put on last week, the hat we put on when we're looking at this, because so many of us are so familiar with a lot of the stories of the Gospels. We know that Jesus came, was born of a virgin, in a manger, called some disciples, ministered for about three years, was crucified, resurrected, ascended into heaven. We got all that. We know that. And the problem with that is when we look at scriptures and we go through uh, things uh again over and over again we have a tendency to read them without reading them so the problem we have is we read them and we're not really reading them we're not looking at them with fresh eyes so a little exercise we did last week that we want to do again today is we're going to look at the book of mark not just as a book in the bible in your entirety you've got this Somewhere along the line, you've got this Bible or a Bible or a digital Bible somewhere that has 66 books in it, right? Mark is just one of 66. It's somewhat important because it's a gospel that talks about Jesus. However, it's one of 66. So we're going to take this out of it for a second. Oh, no, no, take the Bible out. Wait a minute before you panic we 're going to take the other sixty five books out of the out of our mind we're going to just suck it out for a minute we're going to look at Mark as if it's the only piece of material we have to know about Jesus and we're also going to look at Mark as if we're learning about Jesus Christ for the very first time and I used the illustration last week that you were a uh, Gentile living in a Roman province and you've heard about the spreading of this Um, of this uh, Christian faith that's spreading throughout the eastern part of the empire, moving through Asia Minor, and people are following it and leaving uh, the Roman gods and Greek mythology behind, and it's starting to change, and people are getting healed, and things are happening, but you really don't know about it, and it all ties back to this figure, this character named uh, Jesus, uh, of Nazareth, who was supposedly some carpenter who proclaimed to be the son of God who died and his believers and followers, uh, believe he was resurrected. So that's sort of the framework we're taking when we look at this. We're looking at this, not from a 21st century. I know all this, but we're trying to look at how would I approach this? If this is the first time I've read Mark, if I didn't know anything about, if I didn't know anything else from the from the Old Testament and the New Testament, how would I look at Mark differently? And so I want you, for those of you that are familiar with the Gospels, to take that approach. And I think if you take that approach, you're going to see some things in this that you're going to see with different eyes. And I love, 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 love looking at Scripture with fresh eyes. So again, strap it on. I don't know if you've got a chin strap with yours. My helmet always comes with a chin strap, so I'm going to put my helmet on. I'm going to strap up. I'm looking at Mark with fresh eyes as if I don't know anything and know nothing, and I'm trying to let Mark tell me who Jesus is. We talked about that last week, and we really asked a question, and we're going to ask sort of the same question but tweak it a little bit this week. Last week, we asked the question, who is Jesus to you? And what do you want him to be? What are your expectations of him? And we said that because Mark starts off with this sort of intense proclamation of who Jesus Christ is, and it kind of sets the stage of expectation of what he's about to do. And we took that as a framework of who's Jesus to you? Sitting here today, can you describe Jesus, not in a religious rhetoric, but can who is Jesus to you, and what are your expectations of him? Now, we're going to take that sort of same framework, and we're going to look at a couple of parts here in the verses we just read, and we're going to look at sort of the uh, importance of some events here and how they really apply. Remember, this is a life application series, right? So let's look at the applicable things in this passage that directly speak to you and I today on June the 13th, 2021. We're going to focus on, we just read verses 14 through 45, but we're going to zoom in for a moment. And we're going to focus on uh, verses 16 through verse 20. Because this is really what I want to talk about today in this passage. And I'm going to read it again for you so you know exactly the framework. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me and I will, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, who also were in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after them. Now, let 's kind of dive into this for a moment if you would, and kind of think with me through this and paint the picture of this moment here. Jesus has now come out of the forty days of fasting and being tempted in the wilderness. He begins to uh his um, his his ministry is now starting to uh come into play, and he is walking along the sea of Galilee now Galilee is up in the north that 's why. Uh, we find that the city that they go into is Capernaum because Capernaum is up in that northern region. So if you could look at a map, and I'll try to reverse it for you, you have Galilee up here and you have the Dead Sea down here. Those are sort of the two geographical linchpins of of Israel. Um, And then over, you've got sort of Jerusalem um, over here and uh, you got Nazareth up here a little bit. So Jesus is sort of traveling this region, and the Jordan River Valley was a major route. So he is down here, sort of in the southern part, when he gets baptized, and he travels up uh, to this Galilean area, to the Sea of Galilee, which obviously still to this day is a place where where fishing is a major, major, um, uh, not only a pastime, but a major economic thing. Even today, after all these years of being fished, you can still fish the Sea of Galilee. So here's sort of the, the the scene is set, if you want to call it that. And Jesus is walking, and he sees, now get this, he sees two young men. Uh, one of them was married. The other one is brother, who was a little younger than him. Uh, estimates were that Peter may have been maybe in his early 20s. Uh, at the time, Andrew may have been in his uh, mid to late teens, somewhere along that line. We don't specifically know. We just know based off sort of the culture of the day that Peter was married, so he would have been a little older. Um, Andrew would have been a little younger. But when Jesus comes to the Sea of Galilee, these two boys were actively, notice this, that Mark paints the picture. They weren't just sitting idle along the side of the shore you know, you know, sitting there in their beach chairs, enjoying a nice uh, uh, Galilean afternoon, chilling, catching some rays, enjoying the sun. They were actively, actively fishing. They were casting their nets. They were actually in the process of doing work. They were at their job. They're casting nets, casting nets, casting nets. Because again, that is sort of their, that's how they put food on the table. Um, if you've watched the movie, if you watch the, the TV show Chosen, it kind of shows you a little bit of the culture behind fishing at the time. And this was a very rigorous, uh, very rigorous thing. And so get this now, they, they're not, they're not there in this idea of, oh God, send us somebody, we need you, we need you, God, send us. They are in the middle of life. They are neck deep in life. They're at the point in life that if they don't fish, they don't eat. They weren't on salary. There were no sick days. If they were sick and didn't fish, they had no money. If they had a, if it was a bad day weather-wise, they made no money. So if there was an opportunity to fish, they were fishing. And fishing wasn't easy work. You had these large nets. They got wet. They got heavy. You cast them out. You pulled them in. You cast them out. You pulled them in. It was rigorous. You're neck deep in that. They weren't in a spiritual mode. Notice this. I want you to get this because we often think that when God comes to us, it's going to come to us while we're in some kind of holy position of hum, oh God, I need thee. Oh, God, I need thee. And God shows up and says, Here I am. We miss God so much. Point number one, you ready? We miss God so much because he comes at the times that we least expect it. So if you're taking notes, write this down. We miss God because we he comes at the times when we least expect it. And I will tell you this. Some of the greatest encounters I've had with God have not come at my spiritual mountaintops if come in my carnal valleys. Now, before some of you get all excited, I'm not suggesting carnality is the path to Jesus. Oh, man, I don't have to do any of that. Jesus will come to me. No, I wasn't saying that. Meaning, from the standpoint, he doesn't always come to us with this beautiful picture announcing, by the way, here I am. I'm coming to you. That's why we become so addicted to seeing God within the framework of a church that we miss God on a Monday or Tuesday. I guarantee you, if you would really open up and really look at things, you're going to find that you're going to see God in greater ways tomorrow than you see him today. You say, well, you know, I got to work tomorrow. I got things to do. I got places to go. I got things. I've I've got a job. I'm stressed out at work. You're right. Simon and Peter uh, Simon' uh, Peter and Andrew, those dudes had work, man. that was stressful. you got a family. Peter had a mother-in- law who was sick who was at home. She was living with them. She was sick, she wasn't doing good. He's got a wife to feed. I don't know if he had little uh, Peter juniors running around there, but he had he had things he had to do. Andrew this was a family thing, and they are neck deep into trying to get this done. And out of off off in the distance comes this man, that shows up. And I love this. He doesn't give them a sales pitch. I have preached now for uh, over twenty years, full time, and I have the Lord has blessed me, and I have been in situations where I've literally uh, pleaded with people the message of Jesus Christ, trying to get them to make a decision, trying to get them to give God a chance. And I have, I have pleaded with people, and I have just probed the depth of Scripture. I've pulled out all kinds of illustrations. I've dressed up in a Superman costume. I've taken off my clothes. I've gotten inside of a box. I've worn a box. I've done everything I could to convey the message of Jesus Christ to people to get them to make a decision. And i got to be frank with you. Even with all of those efforts, sometimes people just look at you and they go about their way. But Jesus walks on the scene and he sees these two boys, young men, mending. they're they're pulling in their nets, they're actively fishing. And he doesn't say to him, hey guys, when you're done, oh Lord, I just lost my signal. not sure what happened here sorry folks one second Okay, we're back. I'm sorry about that. Uh, the cable came a little loose there, and I had to fix it. This is called live television, and things happen on live television, and that was one of them. So I apologize there. Crisis averted. I thought there was a computer problem. I looked over and the screen It's black, and I got to be honest with you. My heart skipped a beat there for a second. Uh, so again, hopefully that took gave you a pause for a second. To catch back up, so I apologize there for that. Crisis averted. Uh, That will go on the Antioch West blooper reel down the down the road. Uh, So, anyways, so Jesus shows up to these boys and he doesn't give them a sales pitch. They're in the middle of fishing, actively fishing, and he says to them, he doesn't introduce himself. He doesn't introduce. He's like, hey guys. Uh my name's Jesus by the way uh in case you don't know who I am um I just got baptized by John the Baptist and uh I was declared to be the son of God so uh check one for me and then uh, I just went on a 40-day fast and the devil himself tempted me and uh I defeated him and uh now I'm 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 traveling the countryside and I'm looking to get some followers. And um, when you guys are done with the fishing today, sit down with me and um, we'll talk about it. And I'll share with you my vision for the future. I'm going to tell you what you're, I'm going to show you, you know, by the way, and you know, I got a ministry for you. I got a ministry that I want you to do. You guys are going to, you know, Peter, I'm going to tell you about some stuff I'm going to have you do, buddy. It's going to be amazing. So finish what you're doing. And uh, when you're finished all of the fishing for today and you got a minute, Sit down, we'll talk. That's how we would do it, right? We do it. Hey, listen, when you're done doing your thing, let's talk about God. But you know what? i am got to be honest with you. God doesn't wait sometimes for you to get done doing your thing. He wants to know now. That's why the Bible says, Hebrews chapter 11, now faith. Today is the day of salvation. Today may not be convenient for you today. Well, it's Sunday. I've got stuff going on. It's my only day off. I've got a lot of things happening today, man. Don't you realize I'm busy? No, it doesn't work that way. Sometimes God says, do you want it? And you need to make a decision right now. I wonder what would have happened that day. We'll kind of play the opposite side before we go back and we look at the real aspect of this. I wonder what would have happened that day if peter and andrew would have told jesus hey we'll be right there give us a little bit we didn't fish well yesterday to be frank with you we we we're we're way behind we owe a lot of money um we're we're going to need to uh we're we're going to need to 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 take a moment here we'll be with you in a minute i wonder if jesus would have stood there waiting for them i wonder if jesus would have said hey oh, no worries or would jesus have kept going on to somebody else. There's that scripture we find later on where they were out on the boat and the disciples were in distress and the Bible says Jesus walked by and would have continued to walk by them, but they cried out. So the first question I want to ask you today that you you need to ask yourself when you're reading this, if you're reading this for the very first time and you're looking at this, What would have happened if Andrew and Peter would have responded differently to Jesus? Would he have waited or would he have gone to somebody else? I don't know. To be honest with you, I think you can make the argument both ways. You can say, well, he's patient, he's kind, he's loving. I think he would have waited. But the other side of it, you would have said, I don't know if he'd have waited. Because the Bible's very clear that sometimes God gives you an opportunity. When that opportunity is gone, it's it's past. I think if I was choosing, I'd probably lean towards the second one more than the first one. Because this was not just simply a, hey, wait and see, this was a a, 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 a moment, a significant moment. We've been in those situations and other aspects where you had to make a decision that affected your entire life, and you didn't have time to reason it out. You didn't have time to think through it. You had to make a decision right then and right there. So question number one for you today. What would have been different in this story if they would have not responded back to Jesus? If he would have showed up to the Sea of Galilee and called out to them and they would have said, Hey, we'll be there in a minute. Give us a few minutes. Hey, we'll, we'll talk to you later. It's fishing time right now. What would have been the outcome of this would there have been a Peter? Would there have been an Andrew? You see, you can't answer that question without reflecting on God in your own life. Because if you say, well, he's long-suffering and he's kind and patient, you kind of dismiss the fact that sometimes God is to the point where he gives you an opportunity, but he moves on. He would have passed him by. It says in the scripture he would have passed him by. The problem with answering it that way, why a lot of us don't like to go down that road, is because if we answer it like that, then we have to admit that God's asking us to make some decisions right now that we're trying to, we're trying to, to hold off on. God, I'll do it tomorrow. God, I, I'm going to commit tomorrow. God, I'm going to change tomorrow. God, I'm going to start being committed tomorrow. I'm going to start praying tomorrow. I'm going to start searching for you tomorrow. I'm going to start following you tomorrow. I'm going to do it tomorrow. Today doesn't really work out today. I mean, cuz let's be frank here for a moment. Jesus says to these boys a very simple command, "Follow me." He doesn't ask them to join his team he doesn't ask them to, to get it, you know, he, he doesn't offer them anything. He just says, follow me. The only thing he says to them is, I'm going to make you fishers of men. What in the world does that mean? Okay, yes, he uses an analogy that they understood. But come on, let's be honest. What does it mean to be fishers of men? Seems weird. It doesn't sound, what, what are you fishing, what are we fishing for men for? So you think, well, it was the analogy. He just said it was going to be fishers of men. That's what got them. But really? What was it about that analogy that got their attention? Because really, what does it mean to be fishers of men? I know we sit here and go, well, that means it was going to teach them how to minister. They didn't know that. Those guys didn't know that. You're talking about something you know and trying to put it on somebody who didn't know. All they knew was this guy shows up next to me. I am neck deep in my problems. I'm neck deep in my difficulty. I'm neck deep in my world. And he asked me simply a follow me. What's unique about this from a one perspective is is that usually people would hear about a rabbi and they would go after him. But Jesus reversed the script. He went to them, and asked them to follow him. Usually, a boy would find a rabbi who, with a high standard, a rabbi would get some kind of following, get some kind of notoriety, and then you would uh, send your son, or the or the or the boy would desire to follow and be and to study after the rabbi. So he would he would he would pursue the rabbi. But in this situation, Jesus pursued them, and he makes the statement to them follow me so question number one to ask today what would have been different in the story if andrew and peter wouldn't have responded back to jesus number two i know later on we're going to get into the specifics of what this means and mark starts to frame this but right here right now As with the information we know, we are um, 17 verses deep into it. So don't, don't use anything outside of the 17 verses to answer this question. Don't be pulling from John. Don't be pulling from Matthew. Don't be pulling from Galatians or Colossians or any of that. Stick with what you know. You only know 17 verses. Remember, you don't have anything else. You're a Gentile. You don't even have the Old Testament Torah. you got nothing. You just have a scroll sitting underneath the uh, candlelight, reading it. Here's your question. What does it mean when Jesus said, follow me? What is he asking? If Jesus came to you today at your work, you're sitting there at your desk, you're sitting there doing your task, whether you work blue collar or you work white collar. And Jesus walked up to you today and he simply looked at you. He didn't introduce himself. He didn't, um, he didn't give you a sales pitch. He just looked at you and said, follow me. What do you think he means by that? You see, because we have sort of watered down and we're going to get into a little bit of their response here in a second. Kind of gives how they looked at it. But we've watered down the word, follow me. We've made it a casual thing. We've made it a a, 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 a take it or leave it. We've made it an accessory. Oh, yeah, man, I follow God. Yeah, he's a part of my life. God, you know, I love God. But are we truly capturing what it means to follow me. What does it mean? What does it mean to you if I if God asks you today? Follow me if He asks you today. Mike? Susan? John? Barbara? Linda? Steve, whatever your name is, follow me. What would that mean to you today? Would that mean simply, okay, well, alright, well I'll follow him. Where, where's the where's where's the where's the church next church? I need okay, I gotta find a church. I gotta go to church on Sundays, that's a part of it. Or do you think it's greater than that? What does the word follow me mean to you? Don't give me that, don't. Don't give me the whole, What it means to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. That's a cookie-cutter answer. But it's the Bible. You're right. But what does it mean to you? Don't give me some kind of verbiage you've heard repeated. What does it mean to you to follow him? When he says to you, follow me, what is he asking you? Mike, John, Linda. What is he asking you? I'm picking random names, by the way. I have no idea. So if you think I'm picking on you and I called your name, I have no idea. I'm just trying to think of some universal names. What is he asking you? Is he asking you to become a... Observer, or is he asking you, hey, follow me. I'll solve all your problems. Notice this. He didn't say, follow me. Don't worry about everything. I'll take care of it. Follow me, and I'll, I'll make sure all of that you have is taken care of. Don't worry, guys. I know you got families to feed. I know you've got uh, stuff that's happening in your life. Don't worry. I, I got you. You know, um, um, we got it all. Follow me. I, don't, don't worry. I got you. I got your back. Was it that way, or... He just simply said, follow me with no explanation, with, with no real guarantee. So let me ask you this with following him. What are you giving up? What are you gaining? See, the problem is it's easy to see what you're getting up, but you don't always see clearly what you're gaining. I know what it's like. Well, I'm gaining Jesus and that's all I need. They didn't know that. They didn't know that. They didn't know they were gaining all of Jesus and that's all they needed. They didn't even know who he was. He's just some dude that shows up and says, hey, follow me. And they didn't ask for a resume. What do you mean follow you? Who are you? What school did you study at? Who gives you the right? So question number one. As we look through all of these, what would have been different? If Peter and Andrew's response would have been different, what would the, would the ch- story have changed? Number two, what does it really mean to you? The words "follow me." What does the words "follow me" mean to you? What does it mean? What what does that really truly mean? How does that play out when asked that? Follow me. But the third thing, and this is kind of like what we talked about last week, but we're going to take it in a little deeper. Because last week I talked about who is Jesus to you. What kind of Savior do you want him to be? But let's take that and let's, let's take it a little different angle. What do you think it was about Jesus that made them make such a quick and immediate and definitive decision? What was it about it? What Was it something they could feel, they could sense? Was it in his tone? What was it? Was it more than just what they heard, but was there something in their heart? Because we know the Bible talks about the fact that God pricks us in our hearts. What do you think was the reason why Peter and Andrew were so quick? And we'll get into a minute, James and John as well. What was it about these four young boys that they saw in this stranger from Nazareth that made them make such a definitive and swift decision that affected and changed the trajectory of their entire life? No sales pitch. No resume. No proclamation of the future results. Just simply an ask, follow me. With a cryptic message attached to it, a, and I'll make you fishers of men, whatever that means. So was it the words follow me and such a bold proclamation that calls them to make such a swift and dogmatic decision? Or was it something they could feel and sense? Was it something in their heart? And further, for those of you that have been walking with Jesus Christ, what was it about Jesus when you first heard about him that made you make a decision for Christ? Before you were baptized, before the Spirit of God filled you, before you repented and you knew nothing, your life may have been a disaster at the time, Maybe you were, you were empty inside. What was it when you heard the message of Jesus Christ that made you make a decision? Maybe the person telling the message was very anointed and very inspiring and maybe that drew you, but there had to be more than that. What was it about Jesus that made you make that decision? And if that's the case, can you see the parallels between what you sensed, and what those two boys standing holding those soaking wet nets felt that day. Because we see Peter and Andrew given the command to follow me. A few moments later, he sees two other boys. James, and John, and the Bible doesn't say this. It just says he called them. We're assuming, because Mark doesn't repeat, it was the same calling, follow me. Can I stop for a moment and just put this off to the side for a moment? We'll get back here as we close. Notice what Jesus asked of them. Jesus asked them to follow him. So many people, and I got to be frank with you, I say this, and I don't want to sound critical. Maybe I am being critical. So if I feel, if it is critical, forgive me. I don't mean it that way. I really, truly don't. But I get so sick and tired of hearing about what people are called to do. God's called me to do this. I'm called to be that. I'm called for this, called for that. I've got a calling. I'm not negating any of that. But we talk about the calling of God because really it sort of boosts... Up. Hey, you know who I am? I'm Joel. I'm called to be this. Jesus' calling, first and foremost, is not a calling to something. It's a calling to him. We have forgotten the essence of... Of all of this, my friend, that Jesus is not calling you to be this, calling you to be that. I'm called to be a preacher. I'm called to be this. I'm called to be a minister, a missionary. I'm called to be a prophet. I'm called to be this. I'm called to lead this ministry. I'm called to do this. I'm called to be that. I'm called. I'm called. I'm called. I'm called. I'm called. Maybe or maybe not. Your first and foremost calling is to Him. Because you know what? I got to find every time I think I found my calling, God changes it. Every time I feel like I've arrived at the calling, He says, Yeah, now let's move the mark a little farther. Let's move it a little farther. Let's move it farther. But the one thing that stays consistent through all that is not my calling, but it's Him. He wasn't calling them to the kingdom. He wasn't calling them to ministry. He wasn't calling to to a life of of a ministry. Peter, you're going to preach the thousands that are going to find the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You're going to Andrew, you're going to carry the gospel uh as a missionary. John, you're going to be the one that I give my greatest revelations to. That's what we want to hear. God, what's my purpose? God, what's my calling? What are you calling me to do, God? I want to know. What's my purpose? Oh God, show me my purpose. But really, do we need to know that for his sake or really is it for our sake? If that's important, not negating it, but if that's so important, why didn't Jesus start with that? Why didn't he start with, Simon, put down your nets. I need the rock on which my church will be built upon. Peter, I need the greatest Passionate evangelist to speak on the day of Pentecost. John, I need the beloved to follow me. John, you're going to be somebody that's going to stick closer to me. In fact, John, you're going to be out, put on an on a island because I'm going to give you the greatest revelations. In fact, you're going to write a book called the book of Revelation. He didn't say any of that. He just simply said, follow me. Can I tell you today, I believe God's given all of us a fresh invitation, not for what we can do for him or what he can do through us. He's giving us a calling to him. To be frank with you, I believe that's what COVID really, truly was about. I'm not trying to simplify it. I'm not trying to remove the heartaches and the difficulties of what's been in the last fifteen months, sixteen months, but as a uh, as as someone who walks with Jesus and believes that God is in control, I don't believe that COVID was accidental. I don't believe COVID just happened. I believe God allowed COVID. Nothing in recent history has disrupted our lives to this degree. Even the wars that we have fought in the last 50, 60, 70 years haven't disrupted our life. In fact, you have to go all the way back to probably World War II until you can find something in the history books that had such a profound and long-lasting effect on our lives in our everyday life as COVID has. It's disrupted everything. It's disrupted how we shopped, how we traveled, how we've gotten together with family, how we've eaten, how we've worked, how we've gone to school. And God allowed all of it. Why? So we can sit at home on Sunday and not have to go to a building anymore and we can sit in our PJs. Or maybe it was because he wanted to remove all the distractions out of our life. All the things we think we have to do. God forbid we had six months with no live sports. Oh, I don't know how we survived without it. We had no. We had six months with no... Movies hitting the box office. TV shows were shut down. We were stuck with Netflix and reruns and movies we've seen before. What a drag, right? He shut it all down. All the distractions. You know, God, I've, whew, my commute's killing me. God, I can't, I don't, I'm so tired. I don't have time anymore. I, my commute is killing me. God's like, okay, we'll just stay home. You can work from home. I know some of you didn't get a chance to do that with COVID. I get it. But a lot of you did. I wonder if God allowed all that to happen because he wanted to show you, bring you back to singular focus of, it's just me. You think God would do all that to make that point? Are you kidding me? Oh, I absolutely believe God would do that. He's a jealous God. He's invested more into this than any person or anything. He invested his life into this. I think he would definitely disrupt our little world. First 15. I know people have passed away. Dear friends have passed away. I get it. I'm not negating that. But I do believe. Did I believe God killed him? No, I don't believe God killed him. It's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. Whether it was COVID, cancer, heart attack, a car accident, or a tree fell on them when it's time to go it's time to go the 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 vehicle is not the problem it's appointed on a man wants to die your date of death is already set so what happens and how you die is irrelevant whether you die of old age in your sleep or you die today in a car accident it's appointed on a man wants to die but i do believe god would have done all this so that we would have removed all that so it would just be about him. Just about him. So how would the story have changed if Peter Andrew's response would have been different or delayed? Number two, what does it mean to you, the words follow me? What does it mean? What does the words follow me mean to you? Without knowing later on the deny yourself, take up your cross, all that verbiage. Right here in this context, what does it mean to follow me? And how does that mean, what does it mean to you today to follow him? Third, what was it about Jesus that drew their attention to make such a swift? The Bible says immediately, what was it about their, what was it about Jesus that made them make such a swift decision? And what was it about Jesus that caused you to make a decision? And finally, This is the last part. In the last five minutes, this is the part I want to leave you with because this is the biggest life application part of this whole story. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Meaning they immediately left their nets. The Bible doesn't say they found, they hired somebody else. It just says they just, walked away and pursued him. And when they say follow him, no one's like, well, I'll go with you and then I'll come back and take care of this. It's like, we're all in. And then down the street, Jesus goes and sees John and James and calls them off the boat. And they left their dad standing on the boat. Their dad was on the boat with the servants and they left their dad. They didn't go home, they didn't pack their bags, they just left. Now, in Scripture we know this, but for those of you that may not know this, the New Testament is written in mostly Greek and a little Aramaic. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew. So sometimes when we get things translated out of the Greek and the Hebrew, the English words don't really paint the picture fully. So in the King James, we read it at a New Kings, but in the King James Version, it says that Peter and Andrew forsook their nets. Forsook. If you go back and you look at what that word there, that word uh, there in the Greek is aphymia. Aphemia. And it means this to send, to yield up, to let go, to let be. To leave or no longer discuss. To forgive. To forsake. To lay aside. To omit. To suffer or to yield up. To go away leaving something behind. To abandon. You see... To those boys that day, the net meant more than just simply the ropes that were attached. That was their identity. They were Peter and Andrew. They were fishermen. That's who they were. The nets represented their survival. Represented who they were. It's how they put food on their table. It's how they took care of their family. It's how they provided. If they had pleasure in their life, it came from the success they had at fishing. That net was everything to them. Not only that, but that net represented hours of painstaking effort, mending every inch of that net, making sure there were no holes. That net meant everything to them. And in one swift move with the words, follow me, looking into the eyes of a stranger, they let go. I've often wondered, sort of silly, I get it, could they have followed Jesus and carried their nets? When you look at these nets, you go back and you look at them from an ancient world mentality, they weren't just like small little things. I mean, you could walk around carrying a fishing pole, right? The Andy Griffith Show. Right? And little Opie and Andy carrying their fishing pole. Yeah, you could do that. These weren't fishing poles. These were nets. They were heavy. They were cumbersome. What would have happened if they'd have said, Okay, Jesus, we're coming. But can we bring our nets? We're taking our nets. How far do you think they would have gotten? Probably not very far. It wouldn't have been easy to carry such a heavy weight. It would have been cumbersome. It had have gotten away. They were in crowds. They went from city to city. They were sleeping out on desert place, deserted places. They were sleeping in the wilderness. They were sleeping anywhere they could. Their life was a true hand-to-mouth existence. The nets wouldn't have been there. So they had to make a choice. What did they want more? Who they were and how they saw themselves. Or did they want him? Let me ask you this. and my last question of the day. What nets are you holding on to? What nets are you keeping? That's keeping you from Following him. I'm not talking about those of you that are watching for the first time that are trying to make a decision about following Jesus Christ. I'm talking about some of you that you claim you've been following him for years, but your life is cluttered with nets. Or maybe you forsook the nets in the beginning, but you've come back to the nets now. You've circled back around. Well, what is a net? What do you mean, what a net? What a net? Well, let's go back through. A net is anything... Forgive, lay aside, to leave, to omit, to yield up. A net is anything that keeps me from being able to fully embrace the two-word command of Jesus Christ, and that is, follow me. You see, I kind of wonder if that was a follow me question mark, or was it follow me a command I believe it was more follow me. It was a command, but the command required something to happen, and that was you had to let go. We have too many people carrying around nets, too many nets in our lives, too many things that are are uh, in that are cumbersome that are inhibiting our ability to follow him. Yeah, you can follow Jesus for a little while with a net, but eventually that net weighs you down and you've got to make a choice. Is there some forgiveness? Is there some letting go? Is there some leaving alone? Is there some turning aside? What is the net in your life right now that you're holding on to that's keeping you from being able to fully embrace Jesus Christ? I guarantee you, I believe that the second command that he gave, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men, that the first command was the command of action. The second command was something that he was requiring them to do before. Follow me, but I'll change the way you don't need those nets. I'll give you new nets. I'll change your identity from a fisherman of fish to a fisherman of men. There was a call of identity change. We're, we're holding on to too many nets folks. Do you know why some of you can't embrace following Jesus Christ it's because you're trying to figure out how you can follow him but still keep your nets. See your nets may be your identity. it may be how you survive. it may be how you 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 make a living. I'm not saying God's asking you to quit your job. That's not the point. Don't go in tomorrow and hand your two-week notice and say, God's calling me to follow him. And then two weeks later, you have no job and no money. And you just say, well, Pastor Joel said follow him. I'm not saying you need to do that. But what is it that you're trying to reach out after him, but yet hold on to the nets? The Bible says very clearly, choose you this day whom you will serve. Today is the day of salvation. Some of you have been holding on to nets and when COVID came, you just, oh God, don't take away my net. And you, for the last 16 months, man, you have held on to your net. You've held on to your net. God, you've, you've doubled down. Please don't take away my net. Don't take away my net. What is, here's a little side note here and I'm trying to finish, but the Holy Ghost is still trying to reach for somebody. What does a net do at a circus? I've been to the circus, right? I've watched the high wire act. I've watched the trapeze artists do the flips and the swings. But they all do it with a net. Because a couple of times I've watched on the trapeze, Today we're going to attempt the first ever quadruple, flippy twisty, smacky wacky, off the trapeze. And the guy goes wing, 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 and he flips around. And when he reaches out to grab, he misses, and he falls to a net. And the crowd goes, oh, but he bounces up and he tries it again because the net saves him. But I've been to a couple circuses where the high wire act didn't have a net. You fall, you fall. You see, for some of you, your net may not be like a fishing net. It may not be something you need to let go or forgive. It may be your escape plan what you've created. If this thing with God doesn't work out, I've got a escape plan. I've got a safety I can fall onto. You know, if this, if this doesn't work out, God's way doesn't work out, I've got it, you know? God, I need you, God. I've got to have you. You're my source. But if you fail, I, I got a big fat bank account. I've got... A good job, and I've got some other things that can carry me through. But so, Lord, please, God, you gotta help me. You're my source. But if you mess up, I've got a net. I wonder if that's why the early church sold everything they had. They got rid of the nets. I'm not suggesting you enter your bank account, that's not what I'm saying. But there are some of you that need to look at some of the nets and either get rid of them or find a way to let go of those things that they're not who you are so you can focus on Him and what it means to follow Him, not the net. What's your net? What nets are you holding on to? So the last recap here, here are the questions to take out of Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 45. We're going to come back next time and we're going to do Mark chapter 2. All of Mark chapter 2, but this is the... Here's the life application questions for today. Number one, what would have been different about the story if Andrew and Peter would have delayed or changed their response? What would have been the trajectory of their life if that wouldn't have been their immediately response? Number two, what does it mean to follow him? What does the words follow me mean to you? What did it mean to them that day? Thirdly, what was it about this man, Jesus Christ, that when they looked at him, made him make such a a definitive and swift decision? And what was it about Jesus that caused you to make a decision so quickly? Or maybe not quickly, but finally made you a decision. Finally, what nets are you holding on to? What nets do you need to let go of? What are the nets that are keeping you from fully following him? And if you know the nets in your life, what are you going to do about them? Tomorrow morning when you wake up, what are you going to reach for? The net or Jesus? It's easy today to reach for Jesus because it's Sunday. But tomorrow morning, you're going to have to make a decision when the alarm clock goes off. Is this going to be a net day or a Jesus day? What are you going to choose? What are you going to choose? Father, I thank you today. I pray. I submit all this to you. I give this all to you. Submit this into your hands. Every word that's been said, every question that's been asked, every seed that's been sown, I submit all this to you. I speak in Jesus' name that the word would be mixed with faith and that fruit would be produced in it and our lives in Jesus' name. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for being with us today. We're going to take a pause next week on uh, our Mark series. We got Father's Day, so come back and be with us next Sunday at 10 a.m. for Father's Day. But then we'll pick up Mark week three on the following week. We're going to dive into Mark chapter two and the very first five verses of Mark chapter three. We're going to look at that, and we're going to do some more life application series with the book of Mark. As always, don't forget this week, we got Tuesday Talks Digging Deeper, and we'll be back with you again next Sunday morning at 10 a.m. I pray in Jesus' name that you would take this word, you would mix it with faith, and you would apply it in your heart today in Jesus' name. God bless you, and we'll see you again next time.